I would invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of First Peter. We've been moving through this book for some time now, and we will finally come to the end of the first chapter. So uh, just continue to be patient. We'll move our way through this book. But I'm finding that this is so rich and so deep. It's just such a good study. Um, it's just a, been a blessing to my own heart. And as Clifton has prayed, just to, uh, that it would work its work in our life of sanctification. And um, there's so much here. Really, there's... Um, so much more that should be said. I feel like I, I give you just a, a thimbleful of what all that needs to be said and what could be said, should be said. So let me begin reading in verse 22. We'll read this last paragraph of the chapter. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren... Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flower, all flesh is like grass, and all its glories like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do want your blessing upon our service. We recognize that this is your word. It's not my word. And we all submit to it. And Lord, give us a heart of submission. Give us a heart that is willing to to say whatever it says we will do. Lord, we recognize your work in our life. We pray that you would continue to do so. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. From, from the time our children are born, we try to teach them to, to love. We teach them to consider other people uh, and love other people more than themselves. We teach them to say please and to say thank you and to respect people and be concerned for people and to share and I, I, the most we can really do is really just loving habits. We teach the loving habits to our children. We, um, but we recognize that those loving habits are not always genuine. Okay, we could teach politeness, we can teach cordiality and just good manners, but we recognize that we have to address the heart. That's where the real problem is, right? It's not just the, not just the manners. Because we're pretty sinful people and we're sinful all the way down to the heart, to the very nature, our very nature. We are told that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but I'm afraid most of the time, many times, we just love ourselves. We're the center of the universe and so we, we can learn these habits, but they're many times just from selfish motives, pride-centered, self-centered, self-focused hearts, unloving hearts. So we teach our kids these habits. Tell your, tell your little brother that you're sorry and you give them a hug. And they grit their teeth, I'm sorry. 
Right? So they're doing what you tell them to do, but boy, their heart is just not not right. And we recognize that. We see that. Um, because we, we're sinful people. The problem is, is the heart. We don't really love. We, we, we love when we are getting something in return. We love for what we get out of it. It's just the same as the scribes and the Pharisees that Christ was always dealing with. He just called them hypocrites. Hypocrites. They're pretenders. They, and, uh, uh, they pretended to, to love, but they were not really loving. And in our, our sinfulness, we want, to, we want the world to resolve or revolve around us. We, we're, we're the center of the universe. Um, I determine what is right and wrong. You have no right to tell me what is right and wrong. I'm the one who discerns truth. I'm the authority. Everyone builds, or bends their knee to, to my will. And many times we're blind to our own selfishness, our own self-love. We color people's opinions of others, but we don't see it as gossip. We distort the truth, but we justify it. We justify our, our anger. We blame it on other people. Many times it's within our marriage. We control people and we call it leadership. We dominate people and we call it tough love. Within our marriage, we blame our unloving behavior on our personality, this is the way I am, or chemical imbalance, or victimhood. And when it really comes down to it, I want to be the center of the universe. Everyone needs to, to bow to me. And I believe that we cannot love other people because we're too busy loving ourselves. It's really it. It's a pretty gruesome picture. But I tell you, the more I see, the more I study God's Word, I see that that's the way we really are. Um, and I think the biggest idol in our lives is our own self. It's our own self. And I'm amazed that we even notice other people. In fact, I, I, I think that and you, you can become very cynical and, and just suspect that, that other people are there to serve me. That's the only reason we even recognize people, because they're there to serve me. And we distort Love, something that is supposed to be precious, something that is supposed to be unique and a wonderful thing. But the scripture tells us, and rightfully so, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And this text that I just read for us, Peter's, is emphasizing love. And it's a very simple command. In fact, there's just one command, and it's, uh, he's, uh, gives us this command just to, to love. But the emphasis here is not upon the, just the one command. It, it's the, it's really our new ability to fulfill that command. That's what it is. So the new ability to fulfill the command to genuinely love from the heart. And so as a result of this supernatural work of God in our life that we have this new capacity to love. Now we've been looking the past few weeks at Peter's explanation here 
in preparing the church for, uh, for persecution, he's explained to us God's work in our life, this supernatural great salvation that God has wrought in our life. And Peter then gives us a, uh, a proper response to that salvation. And we've seen the first part of that response of our salvation is an eternal perspective. That we have hope in God and we pursue holiness and we have respect and, and uh, honor toward God. And he continues that same theme of, of responding to this great salvation. But now his focus is turned to not an eternal perspective, but an earthly perspective here on earth. And there's one, one command, and that's love. We have to, to love. It's a simple thing. So the principle, you see it on the screen there, is our love should reflect our new God-given capacity to love. Not this superficial, hypocritical kind of love, but a, a genuine, real, godly kind of love. Now, Peter answers for us in this passage two questions. We're just going to look at those two questions here. The first question is, is what is the nature of this love? What does this love look like? How do we flesh this out? And then the second part is just where does this new capacity come from? How do we, how do we have this kind of love? So let's look at the first question, and it's in verse 22. What's the nature of this love? He says, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your soul for a sincere love of the brethren... Fervently love one another from the heart. He gives us the, the nature of this kind of love. But he starts with, he says, since this has happened to you. Since you have done this. Now, this is a statement of logic. Since you've done this, here's the, since you've done this, then this will happen and the result will be this. It's just one of those kind of statements here. Just a logical statement. And it's about salvation and Peter's using what we would consider um, kind of a strange way to describe uh, salvation. But I, I tell you, you, you look in Scripture and you see much more weighty, let's say, or much more thorough descriptions of salvation than we use today. We just say, oh, he became a Christian. Or he received Christ. Or, or he uh, accepted Christ into his heart. Those are shallow ways to say he become a, that, that this person is a, a believer. And what we find in scriptures, most time, most of the time, these godly men, Peter and James and, and, and Paul, they describe salvation as, as much rip, richer. Their description of salvation is much richer and, and better. I wish I had a time to, to, to show you some of these, but, but Peter's just describing salvation for us, and he's doing it in a, in a deeper, richer way. And he's, he's pointing out here what's happened to us during this, at this time when God worked in our life, this salvation. And he's not saying, he's not saying, uh, you somehow have, by your own efforts and your own good work, and through your own obedience, purified your heart. He's not saying that. And we can, in our 21st mindset, 21st century mindset, we can read that into that, but that's not what he's saying. In fact, that would contradict everything that he said up to this point concerning salvation. He's just pointing out salvation from man's standpoint. 
It's obviously obvious that God has worked in our life to produce these things. But from our perspective, what we did is he just describes it as in obedience to the truth. You just obeyed the truth. That's the truth of the gospel, the facts of the gospel. Now, what are those facts? Well, the fact that God's wrath is pointed on us that uh, Clifton pointed out he, in his prayer is mentioning these God's wrath. That's something we have to think about. That's that's part of the gospel that God's wrath, God's condemnation is pointed at them and they had to respond to that. These sinful people. And if the, another fact is if they die in their sinfulness, they will go to hell. Spend eternity apart from God. Another fact of the gospel is that God commands us then to repent and repent from our sinfulness and turn to Him. That's a fact of the gospel. And they simply responded to that truth, he said. In obedience to that truth. They just responded. God obviously worked in their heart. And they, as a result, their repentance, faith, that cleansed, he says, the truth of God. The truth, the obedience to the truth, purified your soul. So it, it cleansed their soul. There's a, a sense, uh, since they have, in obedience to the gospel, uh, they have a pure heart now, a heart that is purified or capable now, um, that it, it can love with pure motives, with right motives. It's a righteous heart. That heart has been changed now. This new capacity of love comes from a, a changed heart, comes from a, a heart that now hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And love that comes from a righteous heart, folks, is God's kind of love. Now, there's three characteristics of this love, and I want to spend some time just thinking through here. He, he says that it's a sincere love of the brethren. A sincere love. And the word sincere there is unhypocritical. It's not a hypocrite kind of love. Not the scribes and Pharisees kind of love. We see this in Romans chapter 12, in verse, um, verse 9. He says, let your love... Let your love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be without hypocrisy. You're not to, to, to be fakey. It's not to be superficial or just pretending to love someone. Love someone for what you get out of it. It's to be a genuine kind of love. And folks, genuineness before God, especially in repentance, leads to genuineness before other people. When we begin to, to see ourselves and become genuine with God, that's going to flesh its way out with our relationship with other people. It's also a fervent love. He says this genuine or sincere love of the brethren, he says then fervently love. So this is a, a fervent love. Now he says this again over in chapter 4 and verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. The word fervent there is to, to stretch, stretch, really stretch beyond capacity. And so it can be used for a muscle. You go into a gym and these guys are working on muscles and they're wanting big muscles. But to do that, they have to stretch those muscles and they, they put 
uh, heavier weights on than they, they would normally and stretch those muscles. That's the idea here is to to go all out, to, to, to go further than you think you can. It's really talking about a, a sacrificial kind of of love here. And it, and it, su- it supersedes all earthly limitations. It goes beyond what any normal, reasonable person would, would do, would, would endure. It's a sacrificing, self-sacrificing kind of love. So it stays in the marriage longer than the world would say. The world would say, get out. You don't need to be in this. And, and it stays, it endures. It's patient with those children when the, the world would say, no, I've had enough. Or it, it continues to sacrifice day after day in serving a family, even when that family doesn't notice. It, it's stretched. Stretched beyond maybe even the, the capacity of this person thinks they can go. Another characteristic of this so it's a sincere love it's a a fervent love it it's also a love from the heart i just love this he says uh, sincere love of the brother then fervently love one another from the heart now that's the command Uh, this is a this is the kind of love that's not compelled by uh, legalist legalism i'm not forced to love you I'm doing it voluntarily. If this is a love of choice, it's not compelled by anything selfish within me, anything that I'm going to to get out of it. Now, this is a high standard for love. In fact, what we could say is this is a supernatural kind of love. James said, or John said, that that we would even we would not even know love if God hadn't first loved us. This is a God kind of love. And God, of course, is the, the perfect example of this. He loves us with a sincere love, a fervent love, a love from the heart. This is a supernatural kind of love. Now, I, I like to watch uh, the superhero movies from time to time, anyway. And there's always in the in this these superhero movies this uh, the scene where they they realize that they they have this superpower. Now, maybe up to this point in their life, they're just living life, and then all of a sudden, they it, it just kind of kicks in. So you have super, or you have uh, Spider-Man. Maybe his hands start sticking to the wall, or something strange, you know. Or you know, Superman he turns over this car to to rescue somebody, and he didn't realize he had that kind of strength, or run running fast or something. I don't know why you'd ever need that, but but this is this is what. Uh, uh, Peter is, is trying to point out to them, they now have this new capacity, and his command then is, is do it. He says, you have the capacity to, to do it now, you have a sincere heart, a, a love now, uh, then, then just fervently love. You need to just use this, this new ability. Now, now we may be like those superheroes and kind of test it out and, and try it out a little bit. And we, we think, man, I wonder, can I endure? Yeah, you'd find that, man, I can endure a lot longer than I thought I could. So let's just apply this. First of all, I want you to notice here that the implications of, of salvation go far beyond that one moment in time where we make some decision for Christ. 
This is a life change. You have a new capacity here. A new, a new ability to love. That's just, folks, I'm afraid, our, again, our salvation is so narrow. Our, our understanding of salvation is so, uh, so shallow that we just think we make a decision and that's the end of it. And we'll see you later, God. And thanks a lot for, for what you've done and, and, and bye bye. That's not at all what you see in scripture. You've been changed and you need to use this supernatural love in the life of other people. And it should then cause us to reflect. What is my love like now? Do I have a pretty superficial kind of love? Is my love for uh, what I can get out of it? Well, I'm not going to serve her. I'm not going to do this for her. I'm not going to give her this. No, she'll take advantage of me. Another application is um, just just that. Just how do we think then about love? If we think, uh, if we're thinking, well, if I do this kind of love, I'm going to get taken advantage of. And folks, you probably will. There's been times that I've looked like the fool because I was just going the extra mile, just stretching that love, just using the superficial kind or um, supernatural kind of love from God, and I look like the fool, and I've been taken advantage of. And I'm sure you will be too. And then we look at God, and we think, man, God was just taken advantage of. Yeah. But He did it. He loved us. So there's, there's going to be some of that. Now we do have to have some wisdom, especially with our children. We don't just coddle them. No, this, this love is concerned about the good of the other person. It's, it's, uh, it has that nature. So we're not just, uh, giving them everything and spoiling them. God doesn't do that with His children. We look at the, the life of Job. He had everything. And, it, and Satan would say, oh, you're just coddling Job and, God says, okay, do whatever you want. And, and he gave Job over to, to Satan and Satan tested him. And, and Job came out the other end even stronger. But Job had to learn some things there, even about himself and about God. You look at, at Jonah. You know, that was God's man. But Jonah was, was sent to Nineveh and he says no. And God had to teach him a lesson. Peter himself, Peter's writing this book. Jesus said to Peter, he says, Peter, Satan desires to have you. Now, true love would say, oh, don't let him have me. True love says, coddle me. At least that's the way we see today. But God says, no, Peter, I'm going to, I'm going to let Satan have you. And Satan sifted Peter and Peter denies Christ. He failed, but he came out stronger. So, so this kind of, of love is, is, uh, is done with wisdom and it's the good of other person, but we have to, we have to love, folks. We have to love. This is not an earthly kind of love. It's a su- supernatural kind of love. You know, sometimes we even have to love within the church, don't we? Sometimes there's, and we see this in the New Testament, the early church, Early church would say, hey, there's sin in your life. We're going to put you out of the church. And Paul called it, turn them over to Satan. Let Satan have his way with them, teaching them a lesson. That's a a tough kind of, of love. 
And that's the nature of this love. It's a, it's a nature, it's a love according to truth. The truth of the word of God. So we have a new capacity to, to love, a, a new heart, a purified heart, a heart that now says, uh, that, a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, all the way down to the, to the part of, of loving other people beyond what we think that we can love. Number two, there's a, another the question that Peter answers for, for us is, where does this love come from? Or where does this type of love, this new capacity for love, where does it come from? Look at verse 23. It says, For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For the flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. That, that's the, if you, we, you look at a field and you see all those beautiful wild, wildflowers that, uh, that are growing, especially this time of year, uh, they won't be here in about five months, people. They're going to fall off, he says. The grass withers and the flower falls off, it says. But the word of God endures forever. The word of God endures forever. And he goes on to say, this is the word that was preached to you. Now, so let's go back. He says the word, the, the first word that we see in this verse is the word for, for you have. Now that points back. You can, you have this supernatural capacity to love. Why? Because we might, we might translate the word because of. It's the word of God. Because the word of God has taken root in your life. It's because of that word. And there's three characteristics of the word, three things that he points out here. First of all, it's the word that, that you were born unto or born has caused you to be born again. For you have been born, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, the enduring word of God. Now think about that. Think about that. There's a description of that in Romans chapter 6. I won't take the time to read that one, but I will read Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. This is a word, a verse that you'll know. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That faith that was ignited in our heart started out by the word of God being preached to us. That's what he says here. And that just took root in our heart and began to grow as we meditated on it. We, we heard the gospel for the first time and, and we went to, to sleep that night. We're, we're thinking, before we go to sleep, we're thinking in our minds, man, am I that sinful? Do I really need the blood of Christ? Did He really die for me? We're thinking through those, those elements of the gospel and it begins to take root and begins to flourish and it begins to grow. And before long, the Word of God is strong. And I like what it said uh, in the book of Acts. It's, a, it's just a, a phrase that was used for those, a lot of those godly men. They became strong in the Word. I love that. I want to be strong in the word, but I have a suspicion that it's not, it's not so much this, they were strong in the word, but the word was strong in them. It just began to grow and it began, it continued to grow to the point that it just dominated their life. Men, that's the way we should be. 
They're born. This word has caused us to be born again. It's a seed within us. And we begin to, we heard that seed for the first time in the gospel and it began to grow. This, another word that is describing this, uh, this word of God is you were born not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable through the living and enduring word. It's a living word. Living word. If you turn over a few pages just to the left and in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, we see that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit is uh, of the both the joints and the marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's an active word. It didn't just cause us to be born again. It caused us to, to flourish and, and to, uh, it continues to produce nutrients into our souls. And it causes us to grow. It, it corrects us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 17. It causes us to, it corrects us, it reproves us, it sanctifies us, it purifies us. So it purifies that heart at one point at, uh, at repentance. But it also continues to purify that heart. It, com- it continues to convict that heart. Hey, that was wrong. And so then we begin to act of, out of, uh, of pure motives. It's not just a one-time thing. It continues to grow in our life. It's a living, active word. Because the Holy Spirit does that. It takes the word of God and works in the heart of the children of God. Number three, this word is an enduring word. And that's why Paul then quotes the Old Testament. Because he's wanting to point out that, that he's just pointing out, he's uh, quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, that, that uh, the flesh, that is these bodies that we live in, is like grass. The glory is like the flowers of grass, and the grass withers and the flower falls off. Every seed that's, that's of this world, whether it's a, a seed from a, a plant or, or a seed from a person, that, that seed, it will give life, but will, it will also die. The seed of the Word of God does not die. It's imperishable. It, it is an enduring seed. It doesn't die. It's an organic seed. It begins life, but it never ends there. It's because the Holy Spirit accompanies this Word of God. The Holy Spirit applies it to the children of God. It begins to grow and it endures. It endures. The Word of God will endure forever, it says. And this is the same Word that was preached to you at that that nugget of the Gospel. When you heard that, it, it began to take root. It was preached to you. You responded to it. Your heart is full with it now. And, and it controls and dominates your life, this Word. And it continues to purify our hearts so that we act then out of a heart of of purity and righteousness and produces loving acts, loving acts. Now, folks, this becomes then the benchmark for all of life. Everything comes down to this. Do they have a natural kind of love or do they have a super or supernatural kind of love? And what we see when Christ was dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees, in John chapter 5, we see uh, 
We see this in verse 42, John chapter 5 and verse 42. He just blatantly states this, but you know that you, but I know that you do not have the love of God in yourself. They don't have that capacity. They don't have the love of God. They haven't been taught that kind of love by God. Now, these were religious leaders, but they didn't even know that kind of superficial, supernatural kind of love from God. He says, you don't have it. You don't have it. And then uh, John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, some of the passages that was read for us this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, it's very clear, the one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness and still until now. That becomes the benchmark. Do you love? Do you have this supernatural kind of love? Verse 11, but the one who um, hates his brother is in darkness. He's not a believer. If you don't have this kind of love, you're not a believer. And, and folks, I have so many more verses that, that I can point to. Especially in First John, in the book of John. But let's go to the other side. That's, those are the unbelievers. Let's go to the believers in Rev, Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Here's the, a key verse. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit whom He has given. The Holy Spirit takes the... The love of God, and He pours it out in our life. This, that's a supernatural. The supernatural ability that we have to love comes from the love of God. It starts there, and He pours it out into our life, into our pure hearts, and we have the ability then to love. So much so that we see then in John chapter 13, and again, there's so many passages that we could turn to. But John chapter 13 and verse 35, he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, he's not talking about the earthly kind of love. This is a, a godly kind of love. And, and that becomes then the distinguishing mark, the, the family trait, if you will, of God's children. Is this supernatural ability to love, so much so that when the world looks at us, godly people, and they see this godly supernatural kind of love, they say, man, they must be from God. We would never do that kind of stuff out here. And they look at that and they are attracted then to, to God. There's so much more that needs to be said. Let me read you one more verse. First John chapter five, verses one and two. I know I've been jumping back and forth, but first John chapter five, just a good verse for you to keep in mind. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and whoever loves the father loves the children of God as well. They take on that same characteristic. Why? Because they're born of God. They're born of God. Now, let's just think about this. Can you imagine a garden that that produces uh, even during the winter time? It just can, it produces year round, and it produces year after year. A garden that that never runs dry, that never stops. 
You can get those cucumbers and tomatoes and beans and squash and all that kind of good stuff all the time. Can you imagine a well that that never runs dry? How about this? Can you imagine a, a car that never runs out of gas? Now that's something we can use. Yeah. That's what we have, folks. We have this, this kind of love that, that'll never quit. And we're called to this undying love for our fellow believers. And it's because of this abiding word that has changed our very nature, that has changed the way we even see life. An animal acts on its nature. All animals do, all of us. We act on our our nature. The nature of a dog is to bark, it's to protect, it chews on things. How many barks does a dog have? It's endless, right? It's just, it's just doing what it does. It just barks. That's what barks or dogs do, right? It's just acting out of its nature. A cat, those demon animals, they destroy millions of dollars every year. They're just acting out their own nature. They just claw. They just, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's your furniture, if it's your leg, or if it's the scratching post. Cats do what they do. That's just out of their nature. Pigs wallow in the mud out of their nature. Christians sacrificially love out of their nature. Have a new nature. And we just act on it. We just do it. How much capacity do we have? It's unlimited. We just we just just keep it going. So let's just apply this. We need to act on that. We need to act consistently with our nature. Now I know the temptation is to to look at the world as our benchmark and to say, well, that's the way that's the way it should be done because that's the way everybody's doing it. And 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 here we are. I think we're not using our abilities. Of supernatural love. Because we're just comparing it to the world. We don't go beyond that ceiling. And the world needs to see these pictures of, of just extreme love. Extreme sticking with that child even when that child is unloving. Or that man or that woman when that woman is unloving. The world says leave, get out, you have an excuse, go. And we... We say, no, we can't. We, we want to endure. We want to love. Love never fails. Let me point out one other thing just by way of application. Notice he mentions to the brethren. That's within the church. That's within the godly f- families. Men. We are to produce within our families a, a loving environment. And they need to see from you just an extreme kind of love. Just just stretching those love muscles as far as you can. Now, I'm not talking about coddling our children. We do as much as we can of that. But it's for their good. We love for their good. And it's love according to truth. And also within our church, folks. Does the world look at Daniel's Bible church and say, man, I want that kind of love. I want to be in that environment. Look how much they love one another. Boy, that's my prayer. 
Now, I also know, and I, you know, I've lived long enough to know that people take advantage, and we have to be wise, wise as serpents. And that kind of environment within the home, with this loving environment, they'll take they'll take advantage of mom, they'll take advantage of, of dad, and they'll become lazy if mom and dad do everything for them. And so there's wisdom there. I understand that. And we have to be be careful. But folks, we are to demonstrate an extreme kind of love. An extreme supernatural kind of love. And what we find, what we'll find then, when we start doing that, we'll find that we have this new capacity. And you say, where does it come from? It comes from the Word of God. It just continues to grow in your life and purify your mind and purify your heart so that you can act with pure motives. So we need to stretch ourselves. We need to stretch ourselves. We stretch those love muscles. And just by way of conclusion, I, I believe that the, this is the missing ingredient. Can you imagine making a cake without flour? <laughs> or making you know, any, anything that you would say, it's a missing ingredient. I think this is the missing ingredient to many of our problems, folks, is an enduring love. That's why marriages fall apart, because I don't want to anymore. I'm just tired of it. But I tell you what, folks, in eternity, when, when all this is past, when we're in eternity and we look back, the most beautiful, the most valuable things that we'll see, the most beautiful pictures that we will see of our time here on this earth are going to be those times that people are going to notice, those sacrificial, loving times that you, you just gave your family to them. You just gave yourself for your family. You just completely sacrificed your life for that person. Those are going to be the most beautiful, the most valuable things when we look back. And again, Christ, He's the example. We look at that, we look at His love, and it's just self-sacrificing kind of love. And we think, man, how does He do that? It's amazing kind of love. It's a sacrificial kind of love. And it's a love that God says that we're to have. As God's children, we're to have that kind of love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray. I pray for this church that we would be characterized by a supernatural love. that Just an extreme love. Not that we give in to every whim. But Lord, we do sacrifice for each other. We do love each other. So much so that we maintain a unity here. And within our families, we, we love those children. We love that wife. We love that husband. So much so that the world sees this and says, Man, I want that. How do you do that? Lord, make us that kind of people. Give us this kind of love. Help us to exercise that muscle. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.